Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Weekend for Buffalo starts tonight against New Jersey, then back home against the Avalanche on Sunday afternoon. And both teams are licking their wounds after recent setbacks and have had enough time to stew on it that it could make it that much more challenging. Or is it a good position for the Sabres to be in? Marty, I've been around enough former players who seem to have this old adage like, oh, I wish they had won the last game before they come and play us. So, you know, now you're staring at Colorado losing last (laughs) night, 15 game road win streak came to an end, which was a league record. So they're seemingly going to be ready for Buffalo on Sunday afternoon. And the Devils squandered a game against the Capitals in which they roared back from three, nothing down, took the lead only to lose six to four. What is it like as a former player? Do guys feel this, talk about it, anticipate anything because of previous games, or is it just right here, right now? It should be just right here, right now. And you know why, Duffer? Is I've been in those shoes, right? Of thinking, ooh, like I wish they would have won so that we can get them in a uh, maybe comfortable state. And or, ooh, they've lost three in a row, so they're primed for the picking. Here's the problem. Nobody ever follows up on, did you win or lose that game, right? <laughs> so you have a feeling, but you don't you don't attach that feeling to the actual result. I remember even as a goalie, I'd be like, I'm going to try something different today. I'm going to, you know, warm up differently or whatever. But I never attached this to the success or failure of the game. And so then the next season, I'd be like, oh, last year I tried something different. Did it actually work? I don't remember. So right. I think it's a way for you to to either psych yourself up, right? And say, hey, you know, they won last game. So, you know, they're going to bring their best game. Or they lost last game. They're going to bring their best game. Like there's a way of almost having this, this mental edge that you want to build up. But when I think of the way the Devils played last game and the way that Lindy Ruff coaches and the way that this team usually has been the last year, year and a half. I'm thinking their performance against the Washington Capitals um, is is not a, I don't want to say a good news for the Sabres because it's not about the Devils, it's about the Sabres, but mm-hmm. I feel like they're going to bring their best. Like they storm back, as you said, mm-hmm. um, just to let it slide away in the third period. Now, the other thing is, you maybe you're catching the devils at a time where their goaltending is questioning themselves, which is and the Sabres hey. just scored five, right? So yeah. six. you know uh, six, yeah. There was a you're right, they count. Empty net. Empty that matter. count, that count, you know. Remind me that, yes. So Sabres just scored six. So maybe you're like, hey, our offense is coming into form while their goaltending is kind of on shaky ground. So maybe that's a positive, but I just think it's it's psyching yourself up for a game. 
Can you update our Sabres Live t-shirts? I want empty nets are for winners on the back of mine. So. Uh, empty nets are for winners. Uh, and if you have the most of them, you usually make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I've learned that the last year. And the Devils are very much Sabre-esque of last year at the moment where it's fine to be top three offensively. But when you're in the bottom six defensively, you end up with a record of three wins and three losses. Now the Devils yep. are three, two, and one. They've got the league's best power play. They have the league's best player right now in Jack Hughes, but they still have the same questions as to what happened to them at the end of the playoffs last year is which goaltender should start because we don't know what to do. They had an Akira Schmid window. Well, that glass broke in the playoffs. It yes. broke again the other night. And yet Vanacek has been uneven as has the team defensively. However, we know Vanacek's career record is oh. elite against the Sabres, so it was a no-brainer to start him tonight. And it looks like Eric Comrie is going to get the call from Buffalo's standpoint. We'll confirm mm -hmm. that momentarily if possible, but they had an optional skate. How do you view this goaltending matchup? Like, are the Sabres, with this ongoing, granted, Levi not available right now due to the nagging injury, is the Sabres trio greater than the devil's duo at this point in time? Well, I would, I would want to say yes. And I would venture to say yes, just because of recent performances, right? Mm -hmm. Like Eric Comrie played well in his two starts, got a win. And then Ukopeko Lukanen comes in and gets a win and plays well in Ottawa um, for, he played well for 60. Let's just say that the results were there for 55 minutes. And then the last five minutes really, um, changed the way that the stats were looking, but I still think of his game as a good game. Now we discuss like who starts on Friday and who would you start? And I'm a little, I don't want to say I'm a little surprised that it's Eric Comrie. I, I felt like Friday, Sunday was going to be one guy gets a game. The other guy gets the other one. That's how it is going to go. I probably thought Lucan in tonight, Comrie Sunday, but obviously it looks like it's going to be the other way around. But Wait a minute. Didn't you think this was the way it was going to go? Uh, no, I thought Lukanen. Originally, I thought Lukanen because he just came off the win and then Comrie was going to get Sunday. Then, then Producer it was... Jeff, do we talk too much that we just don't hear each other anymore? Is that the problem? <laughs> then it was... Then you kind of were like steering me towards... Uh, okay, well, if you were to start like Comrie oh, so on Friday. Fault. I was steering you. Yeah, you okay. steered me in the wrong direction. You said, what if you were to start Comrie Friday, how would Lukanen feel about it? I'm like, it's fine. It's fine as long as you say, hey, listen, you got Sunday's game. Prepare for that game already. Like, I don't think there's a problem in going one way or the other. But my thought was, okay, well, you're probably going to go with Lukanen Friday and then Comrie Sunday. But, I mean, they yeah. decide to go the other way around. Well, Comrie's 1-0, uh, scintillating numbers in that one game against the Devils. And Lukanen, of course, <laughs> beat <laughs> it's real. And 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 Lukanen beat the Avalanche last year yes. in Denver. So give him another twirl. But uh yeah. And I, I think that a lot of a lot of coaches look at all of this now, which I'm a little bit old school in that sense. I'm like, okay, there's definitely teams and ranks that I had better success against than mm -hmm. others. But when the sample is one game or one game last year, I think it's a little small of a sample, but coaches definitely look at all of the uh, impact that, you know, the previous matchups may, uh, may cause. Yes. So looking at it, like, 
which is now maybe unexpected from what you were thinking. Like, how does Comrie feel about like getting this rep when many would have thought like they'll just keep going with the winning goalie? Like, how does this how does this balance both of their psyches going into this weekend? Well, I think Eric Comrie for me um, was brought in last year to be a a consistent performer and to fill in a gap. Right when Craig Anderson was going to be. Um, a, a, a part of the success, but not play more than 35 games, maybe 40, maybe go 40, 40. And Comrie started well, but then the injury and then never got himself back into the rhythm. I think it's a way no, for the Sabres. No, he did. He did get himself back in the rhythm. Like I, I keep he, saying that, like his, his final seven starts, yes, the results late. were very good, except everybody, including ESPN, fixated on the one game when they hung him out to drive for 10 goals against. And against he came Dallas. back with a shutout. So, like, he's had six of his last eight appearances or three goals against or less. It's just everybody was only focused on one game and Levi's run. I really think it's, you know, I'm not saying you're being unfair. I'm saying people are forgetting that Comrie actually did get it together last year. He just wasn't given the same number of reps down the stretch. That's Levi's. the thing. Yes. So, you could, as they say, you can only... You can only win the games you actually play. And I think Comrie has done a nice job of that over his last eight, nine appearances. So Yeah, so where Comrie lost the rhythm a little bit is, uh, you know, he, he missed a little time, then came back. Um, but from January on, he only played 10 games. Right, I mean, you're Levi talking about yeah. Yeah, because Levi, well, Levi came in at the very end, but it was Lukanen and, and Anderson, Lukanen and Anderson and Comrie only got 10 games from January on when you think about 10 out of what 45 right. games yeah. usually so it's it's not like your rhythm is is broken maybe the the, the results were not bad for Comrie especially in his last eight where he won yeah. five of his last eight um five of his last seven I should say but but the reps weren't there so the rhythm wasn't there and now this is an opportunity for the coaching staff to say hey Levi's got a little, you know, lower body something that he needs to work through. Um, let's see what Comrie's got. Let's see if we can get him in a rhythm. Um, but let's not forget about Lukanen as well. So I, it's, it's, I tell you again, Duffer, three goalies is hard to manage. Right now, they're not managing three goalies because they know Levi is not going. But you also have to think, what about in a week from now, two weeks from now, a month from now? And so you've got to start thinking that. That's why three goalies is so hard to manage. Are we burying the lead? Should we have been focused on goaltending? Or should we be focused on the high-scoring nature of the Sabres and the Devils with a high-flying Jeff Skinner, a high-flying Tyler Toffoli, the best player in the NHL right now, Jack Hughes, Thompson and Tuck coming off of multi-point games, Dylan Cousins, Rasmus Dallin trying to extend personal streaks to their best of their careers. Like, is that where where should we be? Or do you just throw it all in and say, this has the makings of an amazing Friday night hockey game? I think it has a making for an amazing hockey game. Now, I just looked quickly. The over-under is still at six and a half for tonight. Usually when two flying offenses are going, um, they move it up to seven. And we've seen seven and a half before, but usually seven is like, hey, this is going to be a high-scoring game. Now, the over is much, much uh, favored in this game at minus 165, I think I just looked. But in the end, I think that, yeah, we're going to look at goaltending. Why? Because the 
Thor is always going to be for the Sabres. The Devils goaltending is a little bit on shaky ground. But what is going to make this game go either the Sabres way or not? I don't think it's going to be goaltending for either team. I think it's going to be, can you continue your offense the way that you did in Ottawa? Can you continue doing the little things that created offense? Um, can you neutralize Jack Hughes? You just mentioned Jack Hughes, 17 points in six games. The last time this was done in the NHL, in the first six game of the season, the last time a player had 17 points, you've got to go back to Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky in the early 90s, I think it was 92-93 and 93-94 that these two players had 17 points in the first six games of the season. It hasn't been like that. There's nobody that's come out of the gates averaging almost three points a game for the first six games of the season since right. Mario and Wayne. So is the actual matchup of most significance slash importance from a strategical standpoint Buffalo's improving penalty kill, trying to figure out a way to stop Jack Hughes, Luke Hughes, and company and their league best 44. Is it 44 or 42? Hang on a sec. I have it somewhere written and <laughs> 42.3%. Yes. Power play. That's the best in the National Hockey League right, right now. So right? do you think the pr- improvements on Buffalo's PK have them ready? to take on this, which most often has not been, you know, look, the Devils are three, two, and one. They haven't scored the first goal in a game this year. Yeah, They're no, trailed in every single game, which means that after these slow starts, they tend to rip people apart in the second period. And then third periods have been a bit of a coin flip. Yeah, it's been a bit of, I, I think that the challenge is going to be to not only slow down the Devils PK, but can you have your matchup, right? You're going to be in New Jersey. So you're either going to say Darlene and Samuelson are going to have that, that Jack Hughes matchup, or you may not be able to do that. And can power and Yoki are you step up to be able to eat some of those minutes? I think the five on five matchup for me in this game is going to really dictate how this game goes. Um, I think the the penalty kill is looking forward to that opportunity. Don't okay. take too many penalties. Don't give New Jersey too many opportunities. But if I am on the penalty kill or if I'm a Cromery right now, I'm saying, you know what? We're ready for that challenge. Our penalty kill is ready for the challenge that it is, the New Jersey Devils and their 40-plus percent uh, success rate so far in the season. Let's go. I, I want that challenge. Um, but the biggest part of the game for me is that it's not not, not just Jack Hughes. Yes, Perbrat is flying. Uh, Nico Ishir is looking better. There's a lot of part five on five that are going to be at play here that the Sabres will have to respond. Shana Goldman from The Athletic at the bottom of the hour here on Sabres Live. Buffalo plays New Jersey tonight. We're on the air on MSG with pregame coverage starting at 6.30. Don Granato addressing the media right now following escape this morning. Well, Don, uh, Hughes took a great step last year in his career. It seems like he's taken another giant step this year. What, what have you seen from him and what you've looked at so far? Well, I, I hate to say it. I do enjoy watching him. I hope that I'm not saying that after tonight's game. But he, he is, um, you know, you, there's a case you could say he's the best player in the world right now, um, the way he's playing. So uh, fun to watch. Um, Less fun to play against, and that'll be a challenge for us tonight. You know, you guys want to get up and down the ice. They want to get up and down the ice. How much of this game is going to be? Somebody's got to show a little defensive discipline and try to, you know, break the other side down. 
Yeah, it's you know, especially early in the season, Hugh, as a coach, uh, I don't have a lot of hair left, but you're pulling your hair out because of structure, and, and every coach in the league is doing it. There's, you watch game film, uh, and you watch games last night, and you just see how much more structure needs to be, and will be in the game with all of these teams. And uh, when you look at the uh, the other lineup tonight and their proficiency on offense, uh, yeah, it's you, you think about the need for for greater structure and. Uh, the, the fact that uh, skill over there can hold you accountable for, for not having it. What is, what is different about the Sabres when Tage Thompson is kicking it into high gear? Well, he's an ultra-competitive guy, and usually they follow hand-in-hand. Hand. When he's, when he's ultra-competitive, uh, he, you know, six foot seven, he's a force uh, between that and his skill. So, uh, and he's a guy that guys gravitate towards. So, you know, he, he, he brings guys into the battle and into the fight, and He's a, you know, very, very uh, much a leader in that regard. How is his height challenging for, for the opposition, Don? Reach, um, obviously strength, um, you, you, much to which everyone would think the obvious. Um, but not many guys have the skill he has. So you, you combined the size that's an advantage outright uh, with the hands and vision and hockey sense, and it's a pretty, pretty nice package. How much do you look forward to seeing their power play against your penalty kill? You have one of the best penalty kills, and they have the best power play. It's strength against strength. Yeah, you look forward to that, Paul. I look forward to trying to find a way to win a hockey game. But, um, yeah, it's it's great for radio, isn't it? Yeah. I was talking to Luke Hughes before after the Devils skated. He talked about how he learned a lot from Owen Power just watching him the year they played together in Michigan. When you hear something like that and you see the way Power's game has been maturing, just – how did that whole experience, you think, with so much hype in college hockey, serve? that might serve Owen Power for the next 10 years going through that, that year? Yeah, the, the best players in the world, and, and Jack Hughes, according to what you're saying there, is, uh, is Luke. Uh, and Luke yeah. Okay, Luke, I apologize. Yeah. Luke, I meant. Yeah. Um, they, they like to learn, and they're sponges when it comes to learning. And I think people don't realize that. When you even talk to other players, it's the players that want to learn that become great and uh in owens the same way so you put these guys in environments and they and they just pick up things and because their attention is on trying to get better and what can i learn from the situation so uh not surprising to hear that uh that quote um and uh and it really is a key component to, to all the guys around the league that are that are the most successful guys they're probably the guys that really focused on learning all their their whole life you probably answered this before, but just your outside thoughts looking in on, on what Lindy Ruff's been able to do here in, in New Jersey. First of all, not an easy spot. Uh, you know, pretty dynamic times for them over the last couple of years and even, you know, early in the season last year. But, um, you know, you know when you're you know when you're coaching against a Lindy Ruff team. I watched it, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago as a, even as a pro scout and uh, loved what he got out of his teams then and actually um, – Stayed in the building to watch his teams play quite a bit because not only were they entertaining, they played hard and, and competitively, um, and that hasn't changed in many, many years. So, um, yeah, it's, he's uh, had an impressive career, and his teams are always uh, seem to be pretty impressive too. What is Eric Johnson's leadership meant Don to Don Bernardo on Lindy Ruff, and uh, boy, does that take us back to a really tough time for us at the end of summer and remembering yes. RJ and there were so many emotions coming from so many different directions and from so many 
people that have meant so much to this organization. And for that ceremony to take on the tone that it did right at the start because of Lindy Ruff and how he was received. And then for him to project his feelings to the crowd of what Don Granado is doing for this team and the mutual respect, you know, it shouldn't be overlooked definitely going into a, a matchup like tonight. No, it shouldn't be overlooked because they're both really big students of the game. And I remember my first few years in Buffalo with Lindy, um, there was one way of playing, right? Like Lindy Ruff was used to having Dominic Hasek in that, was used to say, hey, we have a, a all-world goaltender and we may win one nothing or 2-1, but that's how we're going to get it done. And then I come in, right? And it's like, oh, we have Marty in that now. Let's shut things down. Let's play solid defensively. And that was the game. And then he evolved and he changed. He became a student of the game. He went to, you know, and Team Canada staff and learn from other coaches and continue to evolve. And I think Don Granado is that that same. He talks about the use being sponges. Mm-hmm. I think Lindy Ruff and Don Granado are sponges. They learn from watching other coaches, other teams, other players talking to different people. And to me, that's really important. Um, I forgot yesterday to mention that I had written it down, but mm-hmm. October 26th, of 2006 was the date that we won 10 games in a row, right? Mm-hmm. The start of 06, 07, 10 wins in a row. And you talk about Vegas now, their success and Colorado finally getting a loss and Boston overtime loss, but, but special coaches do that. Mm-hmm. It's not regular coaches that just say, Hey, you guys go. It's coaches that are prepared and special coaches do that. And Don Granado respects Lindy Ruff, and I know Lindy Ruff respects Don Granado. And you always watch your old teams a little closer. Oh, and from what yeah. from what from what Lindy was saying this summer when we did the RJ Remembrance, it was he pays attention to the Sabers and watches them close and really appreciates what Don Granado has done. Mm-hmm. That'll never change. Lindy's been that way since the moment he left, and. Uh... Yeah, I, but you I don't know, know if the, Lindy all, watches Dallas the same way that he watches Buffalo. No, of course not. No, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, sure, there's, there's always a little bit of wherever you've been in your life that you take with you. That's mm-hmm. undeniable. Um, but it's always been different. The, the, a fascinating, honestly, beyond blue and gold sports documentary, whatever, like Lindy's time. But more specifically, and I wouldn't want to focus just on this, but the ending of Lindy's tenure yeah. was a really crazy emotional time. Like, everybody was calling for it. Everybody was expecting yeah. it. And then when it happened, everybody was like, what the? And then the emotions <clears throat> went the other way and everybody felt sorry. Like, they just felt terrible that Lindy hadn't won and that now he wasn't going to have the chance to win, you know, and it was just. Man, it was people and, and, have been had wanted Lindy fired for like multiple times, not just like at I the know. end. I'm talking like multiple times. It's the it's the human nature reality, right? I also think you yeah. end up having coaches after that that are are measured with what was the previous coach, yeah. and 
you realize that the bar was set really high when Ron Rolston came in and when, you know, they had a rotating crew of coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, the bar had been set high by Lindy right before that. And that's how you appreciate what he was able to do. So let's look at uh, projected lineups for tonight from Buffalo's standpoint. Yes. Obviously, the forward group uh, not expecting to have Zach Benson after he was in in the victory over Ottawa, but it's certainly looking like Tyson Jost is going to be in among the forwards. And with that, uh, they're up against an incredibly strong uh, New Jersey team that has a top line, you know, uh, centered by Jack Hughes right now that is absolutely rolling. Um, how do you view any of the, you know, well, the only small change we're expecting up front for Buffalo tonight? Um, well, I mean, that and, was and maybe expected. make a bigger picture, like maybe, maybe try to, you know, look at it. Like, <clears throat> how do they continue to move forward managing Zach Benson, but well, keeping the emphasis on tonight and this group of 12 that's going to play against the Devils. Okay. So just quickly on Zach Benson, he played under 10 minutes against the Ottawa Senators. And then he was the extra at practice yesterday. So all indications would be that, you know, it's probably, Gonna be Tyson Jost returning to the lineup. Um, and it's okay for Zach Benson to take a night here and there. And maybe like there was a lower body that he had to nurse. And, um, and it doesn't take away that he will be a fantastic hockey player. There's one thing to do it in rookie tournament and in preseasons and then have that happening in the season. And we've can all appreciate what he's done. But right now there's more experienced, more matured players that have done it that can insert in the lineup and Tyson Joseph is coming in. My biggest challenge when it comes to the, the group of 12 right now is how do you match up against the Devils that are really deep? I mean, the Devils have a fort line of Alexander Holtz, Michael, Michael McLeod, and Nathan Bastion who they can move. Holt is a, you know, was a high draft pick. Like they can move, they can skate, they can create. Um, so how do you match? But Buffalo beyond tonight typically has had first round pick Peyton Krebs on their fourth line. Like I yes. know Peyton doesn't score at the same rate, but when you're talking about high selections, Buffalo's had that too. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and so is this a, how do you match your top two lines versus the bottom two lines? Is that a straight matchup? Are you on the road so you may not be able to get the matchup? And who who do you play against Jack Hughes? Is this Tage Thompson that is going to go with Jordan Greenway and Dylan Cousins? Is that the line that goes against Jack Hughes? Or do you trust Middlestat with Skinner and Tuck? I would think I would probably put Tage Thompson head-to-head with Jack Hughes and say, you know what? You guys are big. You have... uh um, you know, obviously Dylan Cousins that can take some center responsibilities. If you have mm-hmm. to, you're going to have that. And Jordan Greenway has played so well, especially in the defensive zone, getting to pucks, being able to, to win one-on-one battles, getting pucks out. I would go Thompson, mm-hmm. but Lindy Ruff is probably thinking the same way I'm thinking right now. And he says, right. I got to put use against Middlestad and try to exploit that matchup. That to me is the big picture of what this call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. 
Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Team is going to have, uh, when you look at facing off against uh, Hughes and, and Brat and, and, and everybody else on the Devils. A lot more on this matchup uh, later in the show, but also tonight at 6.30 on MSG for our pregame coverage. The Amherst are also in action tonight. They are at home, and they will have Brandon Byrow back in the mix after missing a little bit of time due to injury. He'll come in versus Laval. Devin Cooley's going to be in goal. They're going to opt for 11 forward, 7 defensemen as Zach Metza gets his first spin of the season. They are dealing with more injuries than just... uh uh Neuchtev up front and Weisbach. So the lineup's going to look a little bit different, but we are expecting to see uh Rosean, Kulik, and Savoy get a second straight game together. And of course, after tonight for the Sabres, it's home to take on the Avalanche on Sunday. It's hockey Halloween. It's black and red. It's going to be a ton of fun. We'll be on the air at 1230 for the 1 p.m. start from KeyBank Center. You can enjoy Halloween-themed activations in the concourse in the pregame. And the first 5,000 fans will receive a pack of black and red player cards. So you can get your tickets now at sabres.com slash tickets. Shana Goldman from The Athletic, straight ahead on Sabres Live. Back with more of Sabres Live, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. It just dawned on me that we didn't arrange for Shana Goldman to join us for Hockey Halloween on Sunday at the arena. The good news is you're a short flight away, Shana. I think we should (laughs) seriously consider this. This is your time to shine. The Sabres will be back in black and red. This could be a big day for all of us. What do you think? Oh my God, I really missed out this year. I feel like we need to arrange this next year. And I feel like as a gift to me coming to Buffalo, I should be handed a customized black and red jersey because I'm I'm just going to keep, you know, begging for one. <laughs> what number? Good question. I don't know. <laughs> I never thought about that. What number? I have no idea. You're too busy making stuff for everybody else. And of course, doing <laughs> what you do, which is diving into numbers, no matter what the category and trying to put it into context and future perspective and obviously you've been telling us for a while you know you were going to do a deep dive contractually into some of the sabers especially the young defensemen what have you found here in your work for the athletic um now that buffalo has dalene and power locked up and how that looks around the league and whether it's a template moving forward for teams that might ever be lucky enough to have two top picks on their blue line yeah so NHL teams spending $20 million in cap space on two players really isn't that rare. You can look in Toronto and find different combinations of players that, you know, are that heavily invested in Matthews and Marner, Matthews and Tavares, Marner and Tavares. Like that's three different combinations. You look, you know, to Miko Ranson and Nathan McKinnon, you can look really anywhere and find that right 19 to $21 million range, except for two defensemen. You can find it for a forward and a defenseman, a goalie and a forward, a defenseman and a goalie, but two defensemen, the highest paid top. When I say top, it doesn't necessarily mean the top defenseman on the team. It's just the two highest paid defensemen, right? Mm -hmm. could mean two different things. Look at Orloff being the highest paid defenseman in cap space in Carolina Mm -hmm. um, is around 17 million. And it's Jacob Truba and Adam Fox, which you can argue are not actually their two top defensemen. So that is their own problem. But the Sabres, uh, have almost $20 million invested next year in Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin. It's not that it's never been done. It's just that nobody else is doing it right now. So it's going to be an interesting test if it can work out. But, you know, the Sabres are in a different position than everybody else. You look at their forward group and the fact that besides Jeff Skinner, a contract that wasn't signed by Kevin Adams, 
nobody else is above that $8 million range. So you can actually swing or, you know, swing big on the blue line, which not every team can afford to do when you have $10 million centers and $9 million wingers aplenty, which is fine, right? It's all about how you can structure your own cap. Everyone's situation differs. But for the Sabres, they're betting on it differently than other teams like San Jose, who actually did this with Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. They had even more cap sunk into the two of them. But the difference was, you know, Burns was 35, I think, by the time Eric Carlson joined the Sharks. Eric Carlson was 29 when he signed that contract. The Sabres are betting on a completely different timeline. They're not hoping for some, you know, current value. It, that You know, like the Sharks, it was all past value with a hint of current value. For yes. the Sabres, it's current value with a huge serving of future value in those prime years. So, well, it would have helped to have Darlene sign three years earlier to a contract like this, and it would have been cheaper. They simply couldn't do that. The bridge deal made sense at the time. So the cards that they have right now, they made the move that's in their best interest. And they're really paying for prime years. So it'll be so interesting to see how this works out. And if it kind of starts, you know, getting teams to think a little bit differently if it works out. It's so much easier to put or attach a value to a contract when it's 40 goals scored or 100 points or 90 points, right? Because you can actually see it. Um, Dalene last year started with five goals in his first five games. That was that was incredible, right? And it was secondary scoring that we wanted to help Thompson and talking Skinner and whatnot. This year, he has assists. Um Is is the value different for Rasmus Dalene when he scores or when he has assists, or is it the same overall when you think of what he can bring to the to the ice? A traditionist will tell you the points are important. Look at the Norris race; people don't win without a lot of scoring. Otherwise, Charlie McAvoy probably would have a trophy by now, or maybe Hampus Lindholm would have had a trophy last year. Scoring matters in this league, and it makes sense, right? But if you can have a defenseman like Rasmus Dahlin who does everything below the surface, even if the points aren't there, there's still a ton of value, in my opinion, because he's someone that can drive play. If he can, you know, do what he does best and, you know, transport the puck up the ice, your offense is going to be better, even if he isn't the one that ends up on the score sheet. But I still think it's okay, right? Like whether or not he has the points he does, it's it's even better. I don't think a high scoring, I I don't think someone's going to make $11 million a year on average if they're not high scoring. So I just think it betters the situation. But with power, you don't have that same amount of scoring. And you're probably never going to because he's not going to be on power play one, which is a conundrum for a number of teams with two top defensemen is figuring out how to distribute ice time because the best way to go is with one defenseman or in some cases, no defenseman versus two on one unit. So, you know, for someone like power, you're betting on everything else he does without necessarily being a top scoring defenseman. But I still think it's very worthwhile. Who's the next team? that will resemble Buffalo with two young defensemen making close to that significant number of their cap? That's a tough question because the team that really could have gone head-to-head with Buffalo would have been Colorado, right? And they're not necessarily the youngest of defensemen. Taves is 29, which apparently in NHL terms means you're dumb for it. You're old, so old. (laughs) And when, you know, he's such a late bloomer, but they are arguably the best defensive pair in the league, right? I think if you asked 100 people, probably 80% are going to name them, and rightfully so. So it makes sense that people would think they should be the highest paid, but they're not. So since that can't happen, I don't see it being Florida. You know, now that Ottawa locked up Sanderson to that $8 million contract too, they're kind of settled in their ways. So I wonder maybe if it becomes New York again, 
you know, mm-hmm. if the Rangers can kind of kick it up because Ryan Lingren, I bet, goes for a team friendly contract. But Kendra Miller, I think, will be asking for a lot more in a couple well, of years, too. We all know the contract nurse has in Edmonton. So when Bouchard gets out of this yep. deal, would it be possible that those two would be close? Absolutely. And, you know, that's going to be, but they're not going to come close in value. Bouchard is a true number one defenseman, in my opinion. Yes, he's gotten off to a rough start so far. Yeah. He has points because of the power play, but like. Blame his teammates. Yes. I mean, that team is a wreck. I I cannot even fathom how. They Marty change. is concerned, apparently, on social media. That's all I Very concerned. Very concerned. Concerned about Oilers start. I'm like, can I mute this guy in my feed? Like, what's going on? I don't want to hear <laughs> no, about you the Oilers. Should be. You should be, though. Like, why would you change your system suddenly when you finally figured out something that worked? Yeah. I don't understand the line of thinking there when the team isn't that different from last year. But Bouchard getting that bridge deal now, it makes sense because the Oilers don't have the money because they invested it poorly in other places. But it's going to burn them, I think, because he's going to keep popping off and earn a lot more money. And Nurse being paid like a number one defenseman when he isn't that. Right now, you know, with Ekholm and Bouchard, when they're both at their best, Nurse is your number three. And he slotted way more appropriately there, but he can't be paid that $9 million. And it's not just looking at it in hindsight. It was a bad contract at the time of the signing. Everybody was signing $9 million, $9.5 million contract. Wierenski, uh, Dougie Hamilton's at $9 million, which brings McCarr. me to the New Jersey Devils, McCarr. Uh, the Devils, which are the team the Sabres are playing tonight. Um, could we see, and, and I know there's a lot, obviously, use is a big last name. You got Jack, you got Quinn, and now you have Luke. Could we see Luke? Being a higher paid defenseman in two years when his entry level deal is up and match up with Dougie Hamilton, who's nine million and be like closer to the, you know, Owen Power contract, Jake Sanderson contract. Now you're spending 17, 18 million dollars for two defensemen on the blue line. Yeah. So this is going to be a tough one for New Jersey to manage. Right now, we saw the trend going of signing those young players off their entry level deals, right? We saw with Dylan Cousins, we saw it with Tim Stutzla, we saw it with Josh Norris, but it wasn't happening as much with defensemen. Matias mm-hmm. Samuelson was one of them, but he was on the lower end of the you know payment spectrum yeah. to everyone else. And now it feels like with Sanderson and Power, there's more of a precedence to sign that big second contract. And New Jersey could do that. I don't know if they necessarily will, but it feels like they could, right? That that's been the move up front more so than mm-hmm. on defense. But the interesting thing is going to be whether or not his salary matches Jack Hughes's. And I know that shouldn't matter, right? It really should not matter at all because they're two different positions. The cap is going to look differently, right? And if the cap hit percentage is, you know, similar, then you can like balance the scales that way. But I almost wonder if Jack uses kind of the cap on the Hughes brothers on what they could make, because (laughs) I don't know if they view Luke as the true number one. And I don't know if they want to invest that heavily in their defense when they've spent so much up front. So I'm so intrigued if they go for that big contract, which they probably should, right? His value is going to be way higher. And yeah. if if it can surpass Jack or if they can somehow keep him to that, you know, maybe 8.5 to stand or what is it? 8.8 for Jack? 8 it's million eight. for Jack and then 7.85 for Quinn in Vancouver. Right. So. And I don't, so I don't think Luke is going to jump to the front of the line among the Hughes family. I think yeah, even though I the think cap is so I think much different now. Yeah, I think he'll I think he'll get close to Quinn, and I think the Devils have to do it because they see the home run that they've got with Jack, and I think they're they're fortunate enough to get Luke, and I think they'll be trying to get this done as soon as possible, and I suspect that uh, that it will. But you know, then you're really looking at a team that's got a lot of long term deals, right? And then it's all got to work. And guess what? We'll probably come back to then talking about their goaltending which we let yeah. off the show with today yeah. because we're talking about this Savers-Devils matchup. I'm wondering, 
who actually has the better goaltending right now? So we'll put that question to you. Ooh, who has it right now? I'm going to give the Devils a very slight edge in that because I think Vanacek is capable. I think last year he proved to be. Mm-hmm. My feeling of Vanacek is he's not your true 1A starter, though. Maybe last year it was just a matter that he never played that kind of workload before and you saw his game start to fall apart when he was playing more minutes than he's acclimated to. Mm-hmm. But that clutch factor is missing. You know, he has a bad history in the playoffs and it's a small history, but it really isn't positive. I think Schmid is the better goalie of the two. I think Schmid, by the end of the year, will be the starter. He's the guy to go with in the playoffs. So the fact that you have those two options that you can have a little more certainty about is going to give New Jersey the edge right now. But the but the Sabres have a much higher ceiling because Devin Levi is bonafide number one potential versus 1A. And I think that's, you know, the better option. And also we're seeing more trial by fire for the Sabres because the Devils don't make their goalies make those big saves because they don't want them to because they know their tandem can't be trusted as much. Okay, so uh, league-wide, though, we can probably say certainly that the Oilers have the worst goaltending in the league right now. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you this or that. Who is the second worst? The Carolina Hurricanes or the Minnesota Wild? Like, unexpectedly, those two teams can't stop anything. Which one has the second worst goaltending right now in the league? Um, I'm going to go with the Carolina Hurricanes because okay. the injuries are going to be a problem, right? Antti Ranta is a great goalie when he's healthy, but he doesn't always stay healthy. Frederick Anderson can be a very good goalie when he's healthy, but he can't stay healthy either. So that rotation between the three is a concern for me. When you look at the wild, it's interesting because I think it's medium danger shots. Gustafson's struggling with the most. It's not like mm-hmm. the most high quality shots. But the interesting part of it is the fact that the Wild are worse defensively this year. They're allowing more shot attempts against, more unblocked shots, more shots on goal, more quality chances against. So they're forcing their goaltenders to play a little bit different of a role than they're used to. I think when you get Spurgeon back in the fold, which who knows when that's going to be, it's going to be better for the Wild. But I think, I mean, it's not exactly great to see like, oh, if the defense gets a little bit worse, the goaltending can't handle it. But I think Gustafson has it in him to be that true number one. And I think with Flurry too, with the right usage, he can be fine. I just think the Wild need to clean it up a little bit. And I think that you'll see the Wild goalies kind of, you know, be the better of the two teams. The Spurgeon loss has definitely had a major impact. Yes. I just wonder what Gustafson's next step is because he's lost every game since his uh, dazzling season opener. And he's already opted to shave off the facial hair. So, like, what what's the <laughs> next step in desperation? Sage. If you've, if you've, you've told us this before damn it i should have known this (laughs) (laughs) what did we sage last what was the thing that you said you we should sage oh i don't remember it was the the, the, um someone's injuries yes Columbus, yes 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 mr columbus himself and then patrick lane patrick uh, patrick (laughs) lane got hurt so now it's not working because we need more sage send industrial trucks I think they thought they were above saging. And I I just think maybe that's what you need to do. Throw some salt over your shoulder, spin around and curse. I don't know. Just figure out some sort of like superstition and just run them all. It's like a Seinfeld episode right here. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Uh, Shana, real quick. When are you betting that Shane Pinto will return and for which team? He's returning with Ottawa. I, I think I think the fact that they didn't trade him is like a little bit of good faith between the senators when they could have just unloaded him when no other team knew what was going on. And I think that they legitimately need him. I think by the time he's eligible to return, though, mm-hmm. Ottawa's going to know whether or not they're a playoff team and they'll know what kind of pieces they can move out to afford his contract. But I think it's going to be on the lower end still. 
JetBlue has many options uh, daily from New York to Buffalo. Uh, <laughs> if you make it Sunday, we'll surprise you with a jersey. Oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Halloween. Thanks, you too. Shana Goldman from The Athletic. We're back after this. I think a lot of times you can just skate around them. You're so fast. If you just wheel around them, you'll rip it. I'll get it to you. I'll get it to you. You're flying. Keep going, JJ. You're playing good. Let's go. That's the one right there. Yeah. Assistant coach Peyton Krebs yes. mic'd up recently in the Goathead jerseys, and uh, you can see more of that at Sabres YouTube. But honestly, following in the footstep of uh, James Patrick, that is how Jeep was on the bench when he played. Like everything was like a coaching moment for Jeep, yeah. always. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cool, though? That's a great connection there. I love that. Oh. Yeah, no, it's great. And you can see Maddie Ellis coming to tap him, like, hey, you're exactly what we're talking about. Like, there's Peyton Krebs. Is is in hockey. He loves hockey. He will be in hockey. Will probably stay in hockey after he's done playing in many many years from now because mm-hmm. that's part of him, and you can tell. Gave us one of our best interviews in this young season when he sat down with us and uh, you know just emptied it out as far as what his summer was and how he grew and uh, training you know, and mental training yeah, and physical everything. training. All of so it. what do you expect from him and company tonight against the Devils as we. Have the game, of course, just after 7 o'clock. We're on the air at 6.30 with pregame coverage. So for me, the biggest thing is you know offensively you can do the right things. You proved it against the uh, the Ottawa Senators. But it wasn't by, like, tic-tac-toe. Big, it was get guys in front of the net. Tuck scores on a deflection. Thompson scores on a deflection. Like, that to me, Skinner on garbage rebound goals. That's how your offense gets going. Then after that, you may get the breakaways and the big two-on-ones and the big one-timer. But the key to this success is the little things, and that's what they have to do. Yeah, Marty will dive further into those little things. Uh, an impressive list of things to break down as we head into the Sabres-Devils matchup tonight. We'll see you at 6.30 on MSG.